training is a huge benefit for a whole host of reasons. And one of them is just trusting and building trust and confidence in everybody. Because if you guys never drill, you don't know each other's abilities and your, your people making decisions don't know your ability. So, you know, show it off. Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Coolie Moore, Firehouse Vigilance, it is Weekly Scrap, number 90. Tonight's guest, we have Eric Wheaton. He is a second-generation firefighter from Winter Park, Florida, known as the owner of Vent Intersearch. He is an instructor of truck and special ops. Uh, teaches at Valencia College's Central Florida Fire Institute. He has taught at conferences across the country, as well as been involved with UL, UL FSRI studies. Um, I'm not going to lie, I've been looking forward to this one. So, Eric Wheaton, welcome, my brother, to Weekly Scrap number 90. Awesome. Hey, man, thanks for having me, bro. I'm stoked, so it'd be a good time. I love chatting fire. Awesome. To everyone watching live, we're getting people logging in, getting it going, getting it going. If you have questions, comments, anything you want to hear, uh, do not hesitate to put them in the comments. I will throw them at Eric. I will answer them myself, whatever we got going on. And we will go from there. Uh, did I miss anything in the intro? Anything you want to add that I was not clear on? No, no, I think pretty solid. Perfect. I like that answer. Uh, <laughs> we'll kick it off right out the gate. I want to say, uh, to Eric Wheaton, if you can put it into words, what is your passion? Where did it come from? And how do you keep it fired up? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good intro. Um, you know, definitely, uh, definitely my family is a big passion. Um, you know, those close to me understand that and, and how important they are to me. Um, that, that's definitely my why, um, to get me through a lot of things in life. Um, you know, like most guys are going to say, you know, that's, that's their big why. So family is a big thing. Um, you know, more, more bringing it back to the fire service I mean, anything really truck work related. Um, and training i'm big on the training side i'm big on the truck work side it just uh it drives me and um you know started as a young age just just it was fun you know um and we may dive into it but you know when i first got on the job it wasn't all passion all 100 percent um although I'm, I'm typically somebody who's all in you know right. i don't really dabble my my toes I, I like to jump all in it just for the job it took me a little bit longer than probably most things i i got into specifically like surfing and stuff, you know, uh, and really I, I started getting into the job, uh, uh, just because I wanted to surf more, you know, it was right. fun to me that it was, it was, I it love was it. a lot of time off to travel to surf. So I was like, I was in, you know, when I was 20 years old. So, but that obviously has changed now and my, my, uh, priorities have changed. But. Perfect. Um, so you got in when you were 20. Yeah, so I got I started fire school when I was twenty, and I got hired at twenty one. I just turned twenty one when I got hired. Nice, nice, very nice. So yeah, yeah, I was I was I was fairly young. Um, you know, I could have started a couple of years earlier, but uh, like I said, I was in surfing and doing a lot of traveling, so that kind of kept me occupied. Um, but you, uh, you know, I, again, that's the big reason why I got in and and all that. So I see the board behind you. You still surf. Oh yeah, yeah. Just obviously not as frequent. You know, I got a two two and a half year old and a six year old and. And they keep me busy. Um, I'm ten minutes from the beach, and and I still don't get get out there as much as I as I used to, and as I would like to. But hopefully, uh, hopefully in a few years that that time will come again. <laughs> right on. No, no, it's a good. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely, absolutely. Okay, so there we go. People are chiming in. Uh, Chris Weathersby said he is watching. Jacob Johnson said this is going to be great. Joey Hayes says game time. 
Garrett Towles <laughs> telling us, good evening, gentlemen. Jacob said, truck work equals God's work. I'm not sure if I agree with that about the whole <laughs> engine helpers, but we'll, I'm sure it's going to be a fun conversation. Uh, Dirk Janiak said, truck work is what the engine does when there are no trucks. There's a lot of truth to that. So yeah, that's not lying. Then <laughs> um, inner search. Uh, most people know Vent Inner Search. It's been around for a long time. So uh, I remember finding it. I, don't, I believe I just made drivers. So this was back pre-2010. And oh, yeah. it, there was a post about, uh, a blog post maybe about what's in your pocket, what tools do you carry in your bunker gear? And I was infatuated with that. It, it changed. I, I ended up buying a tool pouch and putting all these wire cutters and weed whacker wire and, and all <laughs> sorts of stuff in it. Anyway, it's great. But go ahead. Talk to me about Vendor Search, where it came from. Yeah. So at that time, I mean, the, the website was about five years old. Um, started in 2005. Jim Walsh, which uh, was a uh, re- ended up retiring out uh, medically uh, from our department. Um, he started that website with an Orlando guy. Um, uh, Jeff Pond. So those two really spearheaded it and got off the ground. And, and, and basically it started um, as a place that firefighters around the country could come and communicate and share ideas. It was pre-social media. Um, you know, really it was, you know, people claim it, it was the original kind of firefighter blog. Um, you know, I would, I would have to agree. Uh, there may have been some other ones, but uh, that, that's definitely the most well-known one um, that was around. And uh, it, it basically, well, Jim and, and Jeff at the time wanted something, um, I guess before it went nationally, was just local. Um, they were teaching at our local fire academy, and, and students would come up after class, and you know they did a ropes class or they did a, a truck company class, and they were like, hey, where can we get some of this information or, right. or some supplemental information to take back to the firehouse? And there was really nothing available other than magazines. There's no uh, online medium to do that. So that's where the idea basically came from. And then, of course, that you know, kind of grew like wildfire and, and then people from across the country out of our little central Florida bubble, um, started sharing ideas and getting ideas from the website. And then that kind of grew. And now, I mean, there's, there's, you know, over a decade's worth of, of content, uh, in there. Right. You know, I tell people all the time, there's a search feature and you can go back in time and, and, you know, search, you know, you, you said weed whacker string, you know, what, what did we, talk about with some weed whacker string and literally you search weed eater string on there and it's probably going to come up with a few articles if not videos on on why that's kind of handy to have in your pocket yes so uh yeah it's 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 a awesome place it's good look back in time and it was uh it was a cool start to the fire service kind of coming together in the online community in my opinion no absolutely um and it's really cool like you said the whole search feature has it I, I don't know if you've done this or not, but has it stood the test of time when you've gone back and looked at some of the suggestions and things like yeah, that? Yeah, I get asked this a lot. And, um, no, you know, that that's growth, right? So, right. you know, what, what we thought was, you know, a good tip or a good tactic or a good tool to have in your pocket, you know, once you, you know, kind of grow and, and maybe get some experience or, or hear a different way of doing things. Sure. And, and yeah, you're like, you look back and you're like, uh, you know, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't do that so much anymore. Wouldn't you know, republish but, uh, that one right now as a new post. Yeah, yeah. But then it's like, you know, now you get the internet, and it's pretty easy to find a lot of these things, and you can see um, how other people are using, say, a, a tactic that or a tip or something that was thrown on the website, and you're like, oh, yeah, maybe it wasn't as successful in XYZ department. Um, in my area, maybe it worked, but maybe sure. not elsewhere. So, yeah. But, yeah, that's just growth. You know, that's human nature when we grow. So, um, yeah. 
Absolutely. Well, it's just such a large body of work to still be intact and to be able to search. You know, that's that's the cool yeah. part about it, man. Uh, yeah, oh, I mean, social media made it hard to uh, to kind of keep up with that, right? Because you know, it it's not that it's work, but it takes you know. Now you got to go to a website and and kind of search for for a certain topic. Whereas on um, on the social medias now, it's it's a lot more rapid and easier to, to consume. You know, so um, but it's still there, it's still archived. If anybody you know, wants to look back and every once in a while we'll post something new, but you know, busy with, with family life and stuff. It gets kind of difficult. I can only imagine you got to do the remember (laughs) the memories, the remember wins. Uh, yeah. Trey Brown says we're watching from Spartanburg, South Carolina. Trey Mm -hmm. Shaw said Canada in the house and Dirk Yaniak or Janiak. You're going to have to, you're going to have to give me a phonetic spelling of that. Uh, said Edmonton beat you to it. So in Ontario, so we got a lot of Canada representing. All right. Nice. Yeah, we were just in Spartanburg uh, uh, a couple months ago for a class. That's awesome. Very nice. So let's talk about truck work. Oh, uh, yeah. You ride a dedicated truck, correct? Yes, sir. So um, we, uh, you know, we're a small department. We're uh, nine nine square miles. We border north end of downtown Orlando um, in central Florida. And uh, three station department three engine company is a truck company. We call them rescues in the state of Florida. So anyone outside of Florida, if you hear a Florida fireman say rescue, they're uh, more than likely talking about, unless they threw a heavy in front of there, they're talking about an ambulance with two firefighters on them. Okay. They're transporting units. Majority of Florida runs it that way. Um, and uh, so we have two of those in the city and then we have a chief and a, uh, basically a captain that's, you know, a safety officer, you know, things like that on, on scenes or Ford command he could be used for. But uh, yeah, so we uh, we started a dedicated truck company. I want to say in the uh, mid when was it? it was before my time, mid '90s, and uh, like a true dedicated truck. And for a small city, um, you know that around the country, that that's kind of rare, right? So um, we went to we started off with three person, and in early 2000, the city hired for the fourth person. So we we run nice. a dedicated four person truck. Wow. Um, it is a dry truck. Uh, it's a tillered apparatus, a TDA. Uh, first one in the city's history. Uh, we're 100 and what year is it? We're 121 years old uh, this year. So fairly old city for Florida standards. And uh, yeah, to have a dedicated truck uh, on there on the department's pretty uh, pretty unique, and it works very well for us. We're like I said, we're nine square miles. Right. Um, so we we can get on scene with each other with you know four minutes, and everybody's on top of each other. So we kind of have we kind of have it made where we can get a lot of people on scene quickly. Where I don't have to make that decision as a company officer. You know, should I stretch a line or should I start a search? Should I initiate a search first? Because everybody's on top. We you know you kind of have we're set up to have that dedicated truck and engine work. Um, so we've gotten really good at, at splitting those jobs up nice. where we're not, you know, um, jack of all trades, master of none. We almost have specialists. And uh, I'm not a big football guy. Like, you know, any of my buddies watching is going to laugh at me that right? I'm referencing sports <laughs> or football in general. You know, I don't even know how they play on that court. You know, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> anyways, they, uh, you know, you, I still kind of understand the concept. You you're, you know, you're not going to take your, uh, and maybe I'm wrong, but you're not going to take a, you know, your, your quarterback and have him kick a football or field goal, right? So um, you have specialists, right? You have your, your, your quarterbacks, your running backs, 
you're in your tight ends, man, I'm really, I'm really throwing some terms out here that people are going to be impressed with for me. But um, did you research? You have these, yeah, you have you have your specialist, and you, uh, um, you know, because our city allows that, and I, I realize not every department's going to allow that. But what happens is you get really good at that, and we still cross train, right? We still, I, you know, we still the truck will still pull lines and training, and, and kind of understand that. Um, but when you get on scene it's like it's magic. Everybody just kind of goes in and does their job and uh, it helps accountability for the company officer, right? Because now we don't have, if the first new engine shows up and they have to make that decision if they're going to start a search or pull a line, you know, they have to basically communicate all that um, over the radio to, to keep that accountability with the, you know, the commanding officer. Whereas for us, it's we're going to call audibles and things like that but you know the truck's going to get out we're going to split our team the inside team's typically going to go to the front door unless it's heavily fortified or blocked by fire and they're going to start a primary search trying to uh locate that fire first and and get into talking about communicating the engine next but they're going to do some communication with the, in, uh, the engine company at this point. And then the, the outside team is going to break away. And their first priority list is to uh, initiate a search from the exterior. So, you know, typically known as a VES yeah, or right. enter search right. or a window initiated search, whatever spin anyone's, you know, want to puts on it. Yeah. Puts on it. It's <laughs> search, you know, from the outside of targeted search as in, you know, they're going to target either, you know, somebody pointing at a window or they're going to read their building and know where the window's at. And then our engine company, our first engine company, is going to pull line typically to the front door, and they're going to stretch into that fire location. Um, so you can see just by the first two engine and first two truck, we're covering major paths of egress, we're covering the fire room, and we're covering those high target bedroom areas with two companies on scene. And you know, it's it's nice because I don't have to make that decision, right? That's just going to happen. And then, of course, your second dude is going to come in and either dump their tank or pull in a, a, a positive water source and and things like that. Now, where where our city is a little bit unique, we're just at that size where we can handle bread and butter fires by ourselves, right? And we don't have to call any uh, you know automatic aid units into the city. So where that leads us as far as the truck goes is that we're the only only truck in the city, right? So you'll, you'll hear me, I often say we're the only do truck, right? People write articles and have classes and things about first do truck operations, second do truck operations. But I don't have that. I have the only, only do, right? Right. So what, our, what we really have to focus on with our members is that decision-making process, especially that outside team. Right. Because the inside team, they're kind of a little, you know, they're laser focused on that primary search, again, typically from the front door. Um, and our outside team has a, a lot of work, basically a checklist in their head that they need to uh, accomplish and prioritize on the given fire or the building or, you know, what scenario is thrown at you. So we like to tell our, our, our members if they're riding that outside spot, one of the driver spots of the tiller is that you got to come off that rig thinking of VES. Uh, life hazard is our top priority. I don't, you know, pretty cliche to say, but I think we're all, we all understand that. So we want them to come off um, thinking that. Now right it's on. a 800 square foot shotgun shack. And by the time these guys get their air, air packs on, cause we have a tow truck, so they're not driving with their, their air packs on. So there is a slight delay. Um, and if I can bang out, me and the engine can bang out the, uh, you know, uh, the interior space quickly, then they may go on to pull burglar bars or or 
secondary egress or outside vent work. There's all those things that can happen, you know, utility control. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's kind of the truck work and the, the, the bubble that we work in in, sure. in our city and kind of my experience level with, with, you know, a dedicated truck company in a small city, kind of an urban suburban, cause we kind of border some, some urban areas. Um, and, and it works very well for us and it has for, for several years now. That's awesome, man. No, no, the whole rundown, the dedicated, the dedicated specialist is just such a huge, huge takeaway for me. Uh, catching you up here. Um, we got Dallas, Texas chiming in. Dry trucks are the only real trucks. That comes from Ryan Novak. Um, we have Robert Ramirez saying, looking good, my brother. Looking forward to this one. Dude, did you really just use a sports reference? So, <laughs> Eric Wheaton, big sports guy. Love it. That's from hey. Trey Shaw. Go ahead. Hey, oh. what do you guys want? I lost your first name. <laughs> are you back? I think you I'm there. You're back. Yeah, I'm back. Okay, you're back. All right. Uh, Shane Bentley said the original can confidence and tactics performed simultaneously versus sequentially. Nice to have the manpower for that. And so that's that. That kind of leads me to my question to you: Is my department we cross we we cross staff? We have an engine and a ladder in the same house, and depending on the call and where it's at, we're jumping on one or the other. So we call it the trenchant, according to Kyle Mm -hmm. Romagus, the ladder with the bladder the insert whatever you want to say but uh how does that how how do you teach tactics and priorities and prioritization when you're dealing with that in 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 the majority of america yeah so um you know that that's i always say you know that's a very difficult thing and i i envy you guys or don't envy you guys i should say to to have to make those decisions you know that's that's not my wheelhouse and you know, I, I, I can kind of throw opinions at it, but, um, and, and my thoughts of it, but that's not my experience with having to make those, you know, typical decisions like that. So, um, you know, yeah. And, and again, this is my opinion with, with not having that issue is that, you know, you gotta, you gotta kind of prioritize life. And if you think that is put the fire out before you remove the victims, because for whatever you're presented with, the fire needs to be taken care of now, or maybe you have to fight fire to get your way in, then that's the decision you make. Um, if it's something where, you know, the fire can be managed by some door control or you have the, you know, the, the immediate rescue needs to happen now, then I think that's, a, you know, I would assume that's a pretty easy decision that we would have to get in and, and initiate that search and, so we had one one run in a multi uh, multi family years ago. Um, we ended up having two people uh, pulled out of this apartment building, and we uh, we were responding in. And I was on an engine um, that day. Um, we got floated out to a to our east side station, and we were on an engine. We uh, we were, it was a fire alarm that came in, and for us, we send a two engine companies, a truck company, and a battalion to every fire alarm in the city. And a city with nine square miles, we run a boatload of fire alarms. Right. Um, so they get pretty monotonous. Sure. But um, uh, we, we actually use them uh, as training. Good. You know, they're good, good training for aerial work, for, for engine company, for rig placement, for communications, for uh, running into the command. You know, we get a lot of practice out of it. But anyways, we're going um, – first do runs emergency so this happens to be that engine's first do and we get on scene 
and bam, we're smacked with people outside saying there's someone inside. Nice. So now we're ahead of the cavalry coming because they're all coming non-emergency. We're going emergency. So we did have a slight delay than what we would normally be used to. And, you know, the officer made the decision. It was actually his first working fire as a promoted officer. And I was a fireman at the time. There you go. The he, trial he by asked, fire. He, oh, yeah. Yeah. He asked the engineer, hey, pull the line to the front. And, you know, Wheaton and I are going to go in and initiate a search. And that's what we decided to do. And, uh, you know, we were successful in that call. But, you know, there was, you know, you know some a rarity in my city where we had to kind of make that decision just because of the AFA response we had sure. coming. So, no, absolutely. Difficult one. <laughs> no, definitely, man. And, and it sounds like you made the right one. Um, so, Run me through your priorities on scene. Like when you pull up on a, on a bread and butter, run me through how you approach it as Eric Wheaton. Yeah. So, um, typically when, when I get on scene as the, the company officer on our truck company, uh, very rarely are we going to show up first due. Uh, we, uh, if, if it's in my first due, uh, I, we let the engine, we, you know, the engine officer is going to laugh at me. He's a good friend of mine that I let the engine go first, but right. he likes to claim he pulls out first, but, uh, you know, the, the, the goal is to get the engine out first uh, because they're going to pull past, get their three sides. Our engine company is kind of a rarity in, in Florida, too. We, we run all our pre-connects off the rear. So, yes, you can have a 750-gallon water tank, uh, you know, maintain ISO class one, every, every sticker you want on the side of your rig, and have low hose beds and everything off the rear. So that is a thing. Um, but, uh, we, uh, we run everything off the rear. So it sets those guys up for better success, um, to, have, to pull off the rear, right? They're going to pull past the building and, and, uh, uh, basically afford a better stretch. The truck's typically going to take the front of the building or some sort of front corner of the building. Even if, uh, even if it's a one story house with, uh, with a large tree canopy, we have a very low tree canopy where our aerial would never come out of the, the, the cradle. It's still uh, a toolbox. Right? Our, our tiller truck has 490 cubic feet of storage space. So I want that toolbox by the front door. Um, that's just my opinion. Uh, I know some may disagree if the arrow is not going to be used, but it works for us. Once I get out, um, I'm actually not going to perform my own 360. That may be a little odd to you all, but hear me out on this. The first two engine company officers are going to perform a 360. Our outside team is going to perform a 360 from the truck. Our medic units that are going to get out and um, initiate some sort of outside functions or go, are going to do a 360. The captain is going to do a 360. So you got There's some. A lot you, got, of you got a going. surplus of 360s going on. I got a. I got a surplus of people getting to the rear, getting to the 360. Our Char- thought process is. Charlie's covered. Hey, <laughs> yes, Charlie's covered. Our thought process is somebody needs to get in there, initiate a search. Find the fire, control the fire, and communicate to the engine where that fire is located. So that is my goal when I get off on uh, off my rig. Is I basically want to beeline it to the front door, check the front door, force it. Maybe it's unlocked. Do a little dance with the front door. Mask up quick. That's a, that's a key thing there. Um, I typically come off the rig with my gloves already on, um, not masked up yet, but just gloves on. And then we're going to take the can in and we're going to basically try to find that fire. And I can get updates of other people doing 360. So the engine officer might say, hey, we have fire coming out the rear. 
then I know I need to, you know, book it towards the rear. I'm going to cover those path, major paths of egress where we're finding lots of people, according to our surveys that we have. And then I'm going to find that fire. I and mean, let's just say it's a shotgun shack. So 900 square foot home, we'll keep it easy. One, one room going off back left room. So I'm going to make it down the hallway. I'm going to find that one room going off. The, the, our can man's going to take care of that. You're going to dump the can? Make a hit. Okay. Dump the can on that. They're going to maybe take a peek into the fire room if it's even possible and then close that door. Now, I'm the only new truck, right? So I can't just sit there in the hallway and watch him dance with this door. I need to physically do a search. So as a company officer on a you know three, four person rig, you have to do some work. So basically, if we're keeping with the shotgun style scenario, there should be a bedroom right across the hall. I'm going to yell at my man, hey, I'm going to dive in this room and I'll do a hands-on search of the adjacent room. So before all that moving around, I have to communicate one thing and I bypass the company officer and I go straight to the engine company on the radio and I'll say, engine 61, your fire's located back left room whatever clear communications you guys decide you want to use alpha bravo all that i try to be as clear as possible second room on your left the the fire is where the can's at because sometimes we'll pump the whole can and then search still has to happen so we'll leave the can there leave they the can like a can. landmark right right exactly there there's your fire room and i purposely bypass the 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 commanding officer the 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 battalion because they're basically glorified listeners for us, right? They're not having to give out assignments. We have assignments that we train on and that is written down a policy. And uh, so we, he doesn't have to tell us what we're doing. And basically by telling the engine company, officer, he needs to know right now where that fire is located. Then he, uh, the, 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 the uh, uh, battalion on scene can say, check, I know where my fire is located. Right. You know, it's in the, um, you know, BC corner whatever if we're using our imagination here and so he's getting his um he, he knows where his his fire is located he knows accountability hey inside and in, in the back charlie side perform a search engine's going to be stretching through the front door and hopefully it puts the fire out no big deal so the ultimate goal is basically to coordinate that that engine so uh so the um the stretch goes easy for them right so i, yes. I we knock on the engine but i love the engine too <laughs> I won't even go into it. Usually I like to knock on truckies, but it's only because we don't have truckies. So that's why. Uh, now, well, something you said that really sparked my interest there was uh, the BC out in the front yard. He's just a listener. And mm-hmm. how important is training to make that a reality? Because I agree with you 100%, Very. especially on a, on a bread and butter. So, Very. And again, for the listeners, just realize I'm dealing with a 70-man department, 69-man department. All right? I'm not dealing with several hundreds or thousands of people. So the battalions know everybody's name, everybody's wife's name, everybody's kid's name. It's very personal. So it's very easy to learn each other's kind of ways of doing things. So just just realize that we're kind of in that type of framework. So if your departments, you know, can relate to that, then maybe, you know, you could take something away. But um, yeah, we train on that often. The battalions typically have a stopwatch without us knowing. So you know, we're doing a, a ladder or search drill or pulling some lines, you know, you'll see the battalions over their timing. And it's not that they're timing us to, to have anything punitive on us. They're timing us to basically help them make decisions on the fire ground. 
and seeing their people work. And then they know what companies are going to basically, maybe they'll push a little further than other companies because they've seen their skill sets and they've seen um, how fast or how slow uh, a typical operation takes. Um, so yeah, training's huge, huge for that. Um, no, just and, establishing uh, that, that, and, that uh, confidence in your competence and building that trust between the two. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, um, and, and again, it's just, you know, training we're, we're, our department's huge on training. I mean, we, we train a lot and it's a lot of, it's a lot of quality training, uh, in my opinion. And, uh, it's, it's made me who I am today. It's, it's the way our department trains and, and, and prioritize training. So I, I don't want to, I, I, well, actually I want to hit, let me, let me write this down real quick. Uh, yeah. so I don't lose this thought. Your... All right, it's a really quick note with my Sharpie. But I want to hit these comments to you because Jeff Stone asked a question, which was being a smaller department with one truck company, how do you choose the staffing for the truck company? Are the members dedicated to the truck or do you rotate some of the crew in and out with your engine companies? Do you find advantages or disadvantages to your staffing model? And mainly I want to know okay. if there's any disadvantages, but go ahead. Yeah, so um back before we had the tiller so the tiller kind of changed things right so back before we had the tiller there was probably a little bit more rotation that happened um, because we didn't have to have anybody with uh specialized driver training right because it's obviously a tiller is not a straight frame when we're when we're driving down the road so um there was a bit more rotation back there and, and and is why i actually found myself on the truck fairly early as a as a just a one-year firefighter and because uh, I was able to, you know, float on there. And now nowadays that we have the tiller to really have an assignment on our truck is basically you have to become a tiller operator. If you're a tiller operator in the department, which we only have, we try to maintain five per shift. So it's very selective on why, on, on who's on it. And there's a reason for all that. Um, that's your assigned to the truck. Now I have a firefighter with me. Uh, there's two firefighters with me that, that rotate that firefighter seat fairly often. And, you know, so they'll ride the firefighter seat with me for a few shifts and they'll maybe go, you know, the engineer on the engine's off. So they'll go drive the engine. Then they'll ride the medic unit for a few rotations and they'll kind of rotate back and forth like that. The reason why we, we went with five per, per shift um, to have the assignment was the fact that we needed the drivers to be able to maintain proficiency. And um, if you don't have a tiller department, uh, I'll kind of explain this to you. Some may claim driving that tiller is like riding a bike, but if you go several months without driving that, that truck and you have an experienced driver in the front and you're in the back that day and it's been several months, right? you may have some little brain farts when that guy is, is booking it and you're not keeping up and you know he's not communicating as much as he should because he's used to more senior tiller sure. operators. So um, we wanted to avoid accidents from happening. So we limited the number of of people assigned to it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tony Nunez, an eight five zero fireman. My man Tony said, "Did I hear correctly? A tiller? If so, what does your tillerman do? Is his priority just the stick, or does he act as DE? Which you said he was OV, right? Or go ahead. Yeah. So our yeah, yeah. So our our tiller our tillerman is going to be their OV. So they're both going to be dedicated to VES. Um, but if we're going to go down the list of priorities, so uh, 
if they're not going to perform a VF, then they're going to separate their skills even more. And the driver, so the tractor driver is going to be secondary egress and the tillerman is going to be the OV. That would be the, the next, in my opinion, the next priority list. Uh, if search isn't going to be initiated from the outside, would be vent and secondary egress. Nice, nice. I'm going to try and hit you with this one. I don't know if it'll make enough sense. So we go, uh, if you are asked to perform VES on the room above the fire, do you ladder the room directly above the fire or do you ladder the next room? This is a situation that fire is blowing out the window, possibly compromising the ladder. Okay, so there you go. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah so, I mean, um, you know, we get this question often, especially in classes. And, and again, we're right now, you know, we're all, we're all in our heads what this, what this scenario could play sure, out, right? Sure, so sure. Um, is it just blowing or is there fire blowing out, right? Obviously, I'm not going to be able to ladder and crawl across that without taking care of that fire. So maybe I can get somebody, the driver, to pull the bumper line, to, to hit that from the outside, to, to be able to, if I have to get up to that window. Or, yeah, we can just actually go to the adjacent bedroom and come down the hallway and come into that room. Um, I mean, those are, again, that's probably what the the answer they were probably thinking. Um, but, uh, you know, without kind of visually sure. seeing something. It's tough to visualize. You know, it, those are tough to answer. Right. But, you know, I could tell you what we do, and this is another unique thing that our outside team does, and we call it where we break up our team, uh, our outside team of two, into one and one. So we don't do a typical VES uh Typical in suburban setting or departments that are just now kind of getting buying off on the vendor search, which a lot of apartments are now. Right, um, right. You know, it used to be really cowboyish. I think we've gotten away where people in departments are assuming it's cowboyish and, and really starting to kind of grasp. Okay, understand. Hey, it's a basic tactic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right. So. Um, so what we can do, and which may help answer this question too, is we break up our members one and one. So we don't have uh, a, a typical BS where one person's in the room and there's the other outside team member on the tip of the ladder. If it's a second floor BS, so I, I keep saying ladder because we get roped in a BS has to be formed second floor. But either either way, at the window, so looking at a three by three screen and a tick, it, me in a twelve by twelve room doing a search. We want to take that member that's at the tip of that ladder and throw them into another bedroom. And that way I'm covering two bedrooms right. at one time. Nice. So if I can, if I have that scenario where we have fire on the first floor and it's kind of impinging on that second floor and we need to get in that room, you know, I can take my members and, and, you know, maybe I dive both of them in that one uh, adjacent bedroom. That's a little safer because the, you know, the fire is not impinging on our ladder and one stays at the hallway and kind of plays orientated orientation guy, and then the other guy can go uh, above that fire room and search there. That may be a way to do it, um, or they can just basically ladder on either side of this this uh, first floor fire and dive in and do their one room and make it in the hallway together. So there, there's tons of kind of scenarios we could do. We typically like to split our guys up one on one like that and cover more ground. Um, two questions. Because in case they pop up, I know that, or, uh, that that people may be thinking this, is if I find a victim, isn't it nice to have somebody at outside at the windowsill? And I always say, of course. But it's, if you've ever done a window lift of a, of a, a limp body, is it extremely difficult from the inside position as well? If I can't even get this person out of the window, I don't need that help yet getting them from the you know top sill down to the down the ladder out into the grass 
So what we can do is if, uh, Corley, you and me, we separate, we dive in, we're on the trolley side, you dive in a one bedroom, I dive in the next bedroom. You're in, you're in a room and you say you have a victim. You have victim, victim, victim. Well, I hear you and I come across the hall, come down, you know, come down the hall and now I can assist you with that lift. And uh, what I want to do is I want to get that victim to the window and I want to flop their airway out. Right on. Right? Especially if they're, you know, still breathing. We want to get that airway out below that windowsill. And I don't know about anybody else's fires. My fires have a lot of people standing outside a lot. Even for a small city, we have a ton of people, drivers. We have RIT teams. We have chiefs. We even have white helmets. Captains, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Even white helmets. They would gladly run up to the window and be hero for the news by, by assisting a, a, in a removal. Um, so we, we, we would we much rather have that person in there for that reason there alone. The other thing is, is that I'll get hit with is what about accountability? Cause now we're potentially working solo one, exactly one person. Now think about this. Think about your own home. And I say this all the time, especially in, in, in classes. And I try to make stuff realistic as possible. Think of an average size home. My home right here is 1700 square feet. It's a four bedroom, two baths. Each room is about 10 by 11 and it is stuffed with furniture. And I'm, trust me, I'm no hoarder. I'm pretty clean freak, but you'll notice when you dive in these rooms, they're not like these training towers that we train in that have no furniture, they're cold concrete, and you're not sweeping in these huge open spaces. So these rooms get choked out and you're really searching furniture. And by searching furniture, you actually clear the floor space. If you ever watch somebody's search a furnished room of an average size room if they just focus on the furniture they're covering a lot of the floor space and um and so you know you're really you're really choking these rooms out and your egress is right there your egress is very close and then what happens too is is if you and i are on the charlie side we dive into separate rooms and i come out first and you're not coming out of your window and i know you because we work together often that man Orly should be coming out of this room right now. Well, I'm going to run up to your window and say, hey, bro, what's going on? I'm in the master. I'm sweeping the tub right now, something. Or I got some hoarding conditions. Sure. All right, cool, man. I'm just going to go step my ladder up to the next window on, say, the Delta side. And then, yes, at that time, we want to make sure we maintain um, connection uh, close to or, if not, on the same side. Now, we will work on the corners away from each other, but we have our our captain that's going to take Charlie's side command and basically be our eyes. So we, we're afforded that as well. Um, and it works well, man. We're, we're able to flood these buildings with uh, uh, a lot of people. Like search power. Yeah. Flood it with search power. I like mm-hmm. it. Yep. No, I like it. No. And it sounds like a well-oiled machine when you, when you describe it like that, especially with the captain's accountability. Uh, I like it. Now I got a question here coming at you from Lenny Morgante. Uh, Morgante, let me correct me. Let's let me know. But he said, 20 man department here. What's your best advice for new firefighters doing VES? Yeah, so I, I, is he like how to or how to? I wonder if he's talking about like how to or, or is he trying to sell it to his department? I'll see if he clarifies. We'll, we'll, we'll sit here and wait. I'll read you a couple other things that people said. Training against time is phenomenal, especially for an IC to know the speed and efficiency of the personnel on each shift. Talking about your BCs. Uh, uh, Trace Shaw said absolutely, or yeah, replying, said those who can't manage, micromanage, talking about BCs who uh, have to constantly tell people what to do. Um, yeah, and I want to talk about that real quick. Go because for it. Because it goes on, it goes, 
it goes back to us, us company officers, us drivers and us firefighters. I always had the attitude as a young firefighter that I, I always wanted my BC to be like, I want Wheaton right now, right here, front and center. It's yes. game time. I want him right now. Yes. And now that I'm, you know, when you're a fireman, you're kind of worried about yourself, right? You live in your own little bubble. You can't really control much. You know, you, all you can do is be a good fireman. You know, obviously you can kind of, you know, you can still mentor up and things like that. But now that in a company officer role, I have that same attitude, but for my company, right? So I want, I want when it's game day, I want my battalion or any battalion that's working on our shift to be like, oh, it's Wheaton, Wheaton's there with, with truck 61 and his guys and it's game time. And through training and running calls with these BCs, they're able to see that. And that's always been my attitude towards it. Right I on, just think right that on. was, that's always a good attitude to have. Um, to basically sell yourself or sell your company to your, your, your instant commanders. So when it's game day, if you want to play, they're going to put you to work. And especially with these smaller departments that have, you know, one truck company, couple engine companies, you know, there's not much to choose from. So, you know, stand out and, and, and get that, you know, get the good jobs. Absolutely. Uh, Lenny, as, as chimed in and said, I would say how to, and maybe common tricks of the trade to help out while performing. So more of the tactic side or the task side than the sell side. Yeah. So, you know, uh, 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 I, th- I think, I think VS is a great limited staff tactic for search. Um, one, because it technically only takes one person. Um, I do realize, especially departments just now dabbling their toes in this tactic and allowing their members to train on and perform it. They're going to want somebody at the windowsill, whether it be tip of the ladder or first floor. And that's totally fine. Just realize that's, that's the second person that we could be performing a search and having that. So, you know, again, if, if, if your department's going to, to just start to dabble into that, then I would probably go down training the training route of having that member stay at the window still and maybe work yourselves up to where you build the department's confidence in everybody's uh, skill level and then start to maybe talking and training about splitting them up. Training is a huge benefit for a whole host of reasons. And one of them is just trusting and building trust and confidence in everybody. Because if you guys never drill, you don't know each other's abilities and your, your people making decisions don't know your abilities. So, you know, show it off. Like to drill and then, you know, invite these, these white helmets that are going to come out and, and give them a radio. Say, hey, chief, we're going to run a drill. Let's switch to a non-fire ground tack here and let's run a drill and you run command for us and we'll run the scenario out back. So, um, but yeah, so as far as I got a little off subject there, but as far as like a how to, I mean, it's just really got to be good at reading the buildings, reading the, reading the, uh, the fire conditions and then taking all that information and making a decision on where you're going to do your VES. Right. So, that's kind of the biggest decision you have to make is prioritize that where, um, it, it, so, you know, obviously targeting the bedrooms, if you don't have anybody on scene pointing at a specific area, uh, working closest to the fire, but not too close, you have to be able to read fire behavior, right? So if I look at a window and I'm like, oh my gosh, if I dive in this window, it's going to light off. Like I have no time. You have to kind of, you know, you have to know fire behavior and all that. Um, you know, unfortunately, I don't know if we will, if we can tell from the outside if a door is closed or not. 
that's something in this UL study that I'm interested about that we just finished up here that hopefully the report we be dropping soon is, is can we tell from the outside at all if an interior door is closed or not? And that's something that maybe, uh, you know, maybe, maybe not get answered, but that may help that decision. No, absolutely. Cause we've that, always heard the half, the half full window means, you know, it's like an intake yeah. and, a, you know, an exhaust right there. And so you can take, you can yeah, infer but, from that, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but just something interesting. But, yeah, and coming off with your proper tools, masking up quick. I mean, these are all tips that are, you know, things that you can drill on and, and, and work on alone and and uh, training a lot. On a completely side note, I sometimes stay quiet because you had a really great tear you were going on there. And I recognize when there's going to be a great sound bite to be used. So I try not to interrupt you. And that's what I was. Oh, no, you're good. <laughs> no, yeah, um, you're good. Rob Fisher said, as a BC, I am looking for those who want the work. This starts with me attending training. It should be mandated that BCs attend company level training. And that's yeah. it right there, I, man. I, yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> and of course, from, from Chief Fisher there. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Absolutely. Okay. Pulling my notes back up, getting to the next one. Cause I think we're on question number three, just so you're aware where we're at <laughs> out of 13 that uh, I wrote down. Um, no, you're good. Uh, we got the can, uh, I'm skipping the can search work. We've talked about search work, um, tips and tricks you have picked up for practicing search. Anything you want to throw out there while, while we're still on tactics. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, so, so search, one of the big things that I got through experience, that I did not get in, early on training was the searching of the furniture. And I'd like to you know, dive down this a little bit uh, for anyone that's running a, uh, you know, your instructor at your academies, maybe have a training company or, you know, you're, you're helping out at a conference. One of the biggest things we can do for our fire service members is make the house that we're training in or the building we're training in realistic it is very big for us. When we, when we go, and, and host or run a class for, for a specific department or a conference, we ask for a lot of furniture and more furniture than you need. Because if you just tell them, Oh, I just need a couple couches or whatnot, then yeah, we'll never get enough. Um, I like to have that, that furnished as much as possible. Um, and why I like that is because uh, it's realistic, but it really drives the way we show a search. And, and if, if I can focus on, sweeping a bed and, and, you know, recognizing hard furniture versus soft furniture, checking this um, to understand when I need to search under a piece of furniture versus, Hey, this is too low to the ground. I'm not going to waste time moving it. You know, all those things. If you watch, you'll cover a lot of that floor space and where these training scars come from, where, where we get these don't come off the wall or do these big, huge snow angel sweeps out into the middle of the floor is you probably learn that in a, concrete uh, uh or metal training tower training building with no furniture and the instructor when you're a rookie basically said if you came off the wall you're gonna die right and here by the way use this eight pound axe or hell they swing probably had a six pound axe and swing it out in this open space or this halligan with a sharp pike um and 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 hope you feel something <laughs> well i don't know about you but the tool doesn't have feeling i don't know if you knew that the tool doesn't have feeling so how many times do you see people sweeping with a tool and they'll hit stuff? They'll hit maybe the mannequin or maybe furniture, but they never go out and, and investigate what they just hit, right? Because they're just arbitrarily sweeping in a bed space. Exactly like they were trained, right? Yeah. But 
I want everybody who's in their home right now to look around their own house and look at how much furniture you have in there and think about yourself laying on those, putting your foot on the wall and stretching out into open space. And if you, and adding a tool to that, there's probably a good chance you're going to hit the other wall or another piece of furniture. And in fact, I've tested this theory on several homes, but I used my own home for, for my uh, lecture that I do. And I actually took a picture of every single room in my house of me laying down and I'm six, four, so I am a little taller, but, and I, like I said, I either would, would hit the other wall or I would move. If I moved, I would hit another piece of furniture. So we, we do a lot of this wasting our time of the snow angel sweeps in these concrete buildings Absolutely. and they don't, they don't actually translate to, to a real home, real furnished home. Now, of course there's vacants that are completely emptied of, you know, furniture. Hell, I work in a city that's got, you know, they're building a house right now. It's like 40,000 square feet. It's one of the largest homes in Florida. Like, I, you know, there's several homes in my area that are massive that have those wide open spaces. Sure. But, you know, if you look at the, the, the average house fire in America, it's, it's 2000 square foot ranch, right? So it's a, it's a pretty average box size home. So that, that's a big thing, not sweeping with a tool, you know, maybe kind of reconsider your, your, your getting on the belly mm-hmm. and doing these angel sweeps, um, you know, and, and practice searching furniture correctly. Mm-hmm. Right. Nice. So, Soft furniture, I like to classify. I'm going to do nice big sweeps. If you feel some things, maybe fluff it up. Uh, if you feel like you know a lot of material, so maybe um, you know maybe there's a small child in there. So sweep from end to end. If you have very little space, do not move that couch or that that bed. If you have enough space um, to maybe sweep with your leg, your leg's going to be a lot less profile than your your torso that's got your air cylinder on, sure. which is much better than probing with a tool. Use your legs and uh, and and sweep the underside of a high high furniture. Um, I actually did another test with my daughter at the time she was five, and I said because uh, people argue they'll say, well, what if a small child's behind that couch? And I'm talking about couches. I'll tell them like, no, the couch is flush against the wall. They're like, well, what if a small child moved it? So I took my five year old daughter and I asked her to move my couch in my living room. She couldn't budget at all. And then while this video is playing, I tell I tell the people, I said, now now her house is on fire and she's having them do this work while her house is on fire. So she moves the say she moved the couch. Now while she's laying perfectly between the wall and the corner uh, uh the floor and the wall, she's gonna have to pick that couch up and put it back on top of her. Right. Right. She's not gonna be able to do that. So let's there's too many negatives with moving furniture around. Right. There's a, a specific layout. Even hoarders have paths of travel. And if we just went in there and just destroys, destroy everything, we're going to screw our orientation up. We're going to possibly block doors. We're going to block victims, things like that. So furniture, as I went on the long tangent, a big thing for, for, for me. And it was a big learning thing that once I got from rookie school to out in the field that I learned. And please set your training up with furniture to make it realistic. No, no, and, and and the biggest, like, just your little uh, uh, diatribe there was, I, I think about my own house that I'm, I'm sitting in right now, and there is not a single place in this entire house where I could put a foot on a wall and not need a tool to hit something, like, have no range yeah. of motion. And yeah. it's not tools, like I'm a clipper Tools board. will slow you down. Yeah. Yeah, and, and searching with tools will slow you down. I would, I would start to maybe argue with people about, 
search them with tools, like start questioning that, not arguing, but questioning, no. you know, is that really practical? So, and, and there's reasons why I have that school thought, but are you saying not carrying a tool at all or just using a tool as a search? So I have, so I carry a tool. Okay. I'll preface that by saying that I do care. I carry a five foot hook. I'm six, four. So for me, I carry a five foot Lockwood hook right now. And my, the firefighter is going to carry the water can. We're going to force the door and basically leave the irons at the front door. Every once in a while, get a firefighter that wants to carry a tool with them. That's fine. Just, just as long as they understand kind of my thought process on this. And if you watch training and this, again, this is just coming from, from my own, my experience and then watching a, a lot of it. I have a lot of experience watching training, right? Throughout the years of sure. traveling and things. And I noticed that a ton of people, when they, when you start to, to master vision and they're searching with a tool, uh, one, one that's one less hand, not filling furniture or, or, you know, the rare case we're sweeping out in these big rooms, they're glued to that tool. Typically they don't have the where, wherewithal to leave the tool at the wall come off the wall, sweep. There's a few people I've seen that are really good at that. John Lockwood's a good buddy of mine. He moves. If you ever want to see somebody move throughout a building, that dude's got it down. And he's very purposeful where he places his tool. What happens, too, is if you leave your tool in the hall to maybe go search a bedroom and you come out, if you don't have a purpose, a place where you purposely put that tool, more than likely you're going to come out, you can't see, your mask is all fogged up, and you're looking for the tool. Right. And I found myself, you know, I see this a lot, but where I kind of started questioning this is I found myself um, doing a search of a home and I come out and I spend, it may be only 10 seconds, but I find myself doing this, looking for my tool. And it finally hit me and I'm like, dude, I'm here doing a search for a human being. And right now I'm trying to look for a $200 Halligan bar. Like those seconds, I've just felt so guilty giving them away searching for a tool rather than having my hands up and moving really fast along hmm. the building. Right. Um, so for me, and now as a company officer, again, I carry a five foot Lockwood hook and my, uh, my firefighter traditionally only has the water can once we break the threshold and they're going to typically leave that water can there at the fire room. Um, every once in a while, if it's like, first floor fire and we have to still search the second floor they may bring the can up with them if they still have a little bit of water left for extension but for the most part they're going to leave it there so they'll go to a full hands-on search um after that fire lo- is located awesome i'm gonna throw some more questions at you because i got a few more yeah and it's coming back to ves and stuff so i'm getting here uh i'm scrolling back up guys i promise you uh what's your opinion when performing vs dive in and crawl straight to the door assuming the door is across the window or following the wall to find the door yeah. So great question. Great question. Um, building construction. And it was from uh, Tommy McCarthy. I want to throw his name out there because he did throw the question. Okay. Go, go. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great uh, question, Tommy. So get this question a lot. We discuss it a lot. And um, if you're going to dive in, we'll get back to building construction. If you think about building construction, typically your bedroom windows are going to be in some orientation facing a, uh, a doorway, right? Uh, so right now I'm outside. This is a kitchen window behind me, but I'm looking at my son is literally sleeping in this room right here. And I'm looking at his bedroom window, right? If I look at his bedroom window, I'm facing this side of my house. He has a corner bedroom. So I ask people, is his interior door going to be on the side that uh, I'm diving in the window? 
no, because that's an exterior. Right? You guys can't see the room, so I'm trying to visualize this for you guys. But it's not going to be on that wall. It's a corner bedroom, so the other exterior wall protrudes out this way. I'm not going to dive in this window and go left because that's an exterior wall. Right. So I, that's left with two other walls. That's either straight across or to my right. Those are my two interior walls. So when you dive in, you need to head in that general direction, that corner direction. And when you dive in, if you don't hit that, if you don't hit a door in the corner, then you have to, if you haven't seen the rest of the house, maybe you have to make a decision. Am I going to search to the left or search to the right for that door? So if you know that your hallway runs all the way to the back of the house, then you might want to search left because there might be the door that goes in the hallway. Or if you know there's no hallway and it ends on this wall here, then you're going to move right. But in fact, if you jump in my son's room right now, if you hit that corner, you're going to hit the uh, you're going to hit the door in the corner. Same thing with my daughter's room on the same side, and same thing with my bedroom right here. If you go through my bedroom window, my door is going to be in the corner of the walls there. The other thing is those bedroom doors are going to swing in and they're going to swing in on the 90 degree wall. Typically, all right, people do some weird stuff, but on your 90 degree wall. So it's going to open to a 90 degree wall, not the 180 degree right, wall. Right. That kind of helps you see how yours goes. <laughs> oh, it, yeah. it doesn't, the hinge isn't on the other side, right? Right. It doesn't open towards a, that bookshelf it opens towards your flag, your um, yes. wall there. Right. So, that kind of helps steer you and, and where to go and and if you dove in the in a bedroom too, right? So if you happen to dive in a room and the door swings out, that might be some sort of storage room or you know, who knows? It, or it could be a bedroom that just they hung the door that way. So, but typically generally, how your room right. is set up generally, very generally, <laughs> but uh, is uh, common right there is is how your door swings. All right, I'm trying to find. Uh, do you use ticks for search? Um, typically not. And, and why I kind of like eh, to say that is, is I feel like it's my fault that I don't because I don't have the confidence in them because I, I don't train enough with them. Okay. Um, I'm more of a hands-on search searcher and that could be just because I spent, you know, before I got promoted company officer, I was doing a hands-on search for, mm, what I have on, I think I had 12 years on when I got promoted company officer for 12 years, I've searched with this, my hands. And it just really works well for me. And, you know, having to wipe my face, wipe the tick screen with the moisture and just, um, you know, for, I just, I like to be hands-free. So when I use the tick though, when we make entry that first, that first time we pop the door um, to go through the front door, I will use the tick there. And then every once in a while, if I send a firefighter into a room and I've swept behind the door because I have other jobs than just watching them through a tick, I, I, I send a firefighter through the door. I'm going to check behind the door. I'm going to search out into what I call the future. So if the hallway is continuing down, I'll do a hands-on sweep, just hook uh, hit the door frame there where he where that searcher is. Sure. And I'll sweep in the furniture, or excuse me, down in the future or adjacent room. If I've done all that and they're still not done, then I may glance at the tick into the room and just, you know, kind of get their whereabouts and, you know, maybe, hey, you know, maybe I noticed there's a bathroom in there. Hey, did, you know, did you check the bathroom, check behind the bed, stuff like that. So, no, that's probably, fair. You know, yeah, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It's just, it's, 
I don't train enough on it, so uh, I don't have enough confidence in it. So. Right, that's an honest answer. I can't ask for anything more yeah. than that, and that's what they asked for. So yeah. there you go. Uh, I'm seeing if I'm missing any great questions here. Uh, he already, yeah, he's cool with leaving tools at the point of entry. Yes. Um, David Woodward said, I'm generally impressed with the people of Vent Inner Search. Uh, there we go. Rob Fisher asked Jody Fisher what she was doing in here. Uh, <laughs> tool goes against the wall outside the room. There we go. Know the buildings in your district 100%. Um, yeah, there we go. There we go. There we go. Good stuff. Okay, I'm moving on. Grabbing my notes up here. We're all caught up. I want to hit you with um, switching gears and moving to one of my favorite topics, which is fire service culture. And you've been teaching for a while. Uh, and so is there a shift running through the fire service? Uh, where are we at, according to Eric Wheaton? Yeah, so um, I'll give you my, again, my experience with that. And I, I, and I know I relate to a lot of people that, that either listening live or, or future here, but I got beat down bad when I was young into the job. Uh, and thank God for fire conferences. Cause it, if it wasn't for fire conferences, I don't think I would be here talking to you about anything. Um, because I probably would have just been that surfer bum that really wanted a job to have, you know, two days off to go surf. Right. And in my department, we have a very good retention. Um, the last person to leave us was 16 years ago now for another fire department. We've had some people leave to become realtors and things like that. But to leave us to go to another fire department has been 16 years, 15 or 16 years uh, for a small department, especially with some major departments surrounding us. That's, that's a pretty cool thing. But what that negative, what that creates is huge generational gaps. So what, when I got hired, the next youngest person to me had, uh, uh, was 10 years older than me and had 11 years on the job Yeah, on my shift. And for some reason, those eighties and nineties babies, they're not, you know, career babies. They <laughs> had the thing and, and the culture in my department was, it wasn't cool to be into the job. Right. 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 If, no, hundred percent. I know the that. Job, the majority, the overwhelming majority. And my dad with is this generation right and um uh they would beat anybody down that enjoyed the job there's you know a couple guys of course that that you know you could talk to about it but <clears throat> when i started to get into it, the first couple years of, of me being there um i basically i would read a magazine out in the bay and and hide it because there wasn't really big social media presence yet they were starting to be but i'd read a magazine or maybe have um you know I don't even think I had a phone where you go to the internet. So probably on the, on the work computer there, right. but if someone walked by, I would like close it or like shut down my computer real quick. Right. Um, because I was, <laughs> you know, I didn't you want, want to be make caught. Fun of yeah. Being no, one of those guys. I didn't want yeah. Right. So then it's, uh, I went to Orlando fire conference and started getting a little taste of all that. And, you know, I met some of these guys now that are friends and, and huge mentors and they're very well known in the fire service. And those guys basically gave me a little spark and I would come back and I would get beat down with say a forceful entry trick that I learned from Mike Champo. And they'd be like, who the hell are you? What are you teaching me about forceful entry? Right. And I said, I'm just the messenger, dude. I just learned it from some guy from New York and I guarantee you he knows what he's doing. Right. And it was one of, uh, what's that saying where it's, 10% pressure, 100% of time. Or, Rob Fisher, man, he's in what, here tonight. Yeah, yeah, Rob Fisher, right? 
Yeah, so uh, I picked that up one of the CFD conferences, and um, and as soon as he said that, totally related to that, and I didn't know that's what I was doing, but that's what that's what I did, and then ultimately I went to FDIC for the first time in, in 2011, and it's actually in our union's contract that we send two members every year to FDIC. Nice. Um, and uh, we're going to probably change that to where now there's so many micro conferences that will, sure. you know, maybe send more people to more conferences that are more affordable. But anyways, and I went there and then that was it, man, that just did it for me. And ever since then, I've been really engaged to it. And I, I would come back and I would go outside and this is the advice I have for you all there to get beat down. I would go out back and I would work by myself. I would throw gear on, I'd throw ladders I'd do air consumptions. You know, sometimes when I was, uh, you know, uh, want to train on pumping the engine, I'd back the engine out, I'd throw some fog nozzles on the pump panel, put it on a kind of a narrow wide fog so I didn't have to pull any lines right. off the rig. I just, you know, wasn't beating up the asphalt with the smooth bore, so I just had the fogs there and I would pump the truck, by, or excuse me, pump the engine by myself. I would throw ladders. I would, uh, we didn't have a force plunger pop at the time, but I would take two big exercise tires and I would wedge a Halligan bar between them and it would weight down the Halligan bar and I would get on one knee and I would just strike the head of the, the Halligan bar and practice left hand swing, right hand swing. Well, guess what? <laughs> one person, one person turned into two, turned into three. And today I'm in a firehouse with 11 people and I do the training roster every day. So I kind of keep track of how many people work out because we, 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 we write this down. And I, I average eight out of 11. Nice. Eight out of 11 every day are outside drilling uh, or, excuse me, uh, uh, yeah, drilling or, or, or working out with me, things like that. So uh, nowadays, fast forward, you know, almost 15 years now, and we're young. We're really young now. So now we've had the, the opportunity to have positive impressions on these young people. So now this is the culture they know that we train all the time. Everybody's happy, you know, um, you know, just good positive attitude. You know, we still have some, some hiccups and some swamps and things like that, but, uh, you know, it's, it's completely different now. And now I can come back and happily pull up a fire video on, on the, on the day room TV and talk tactics with people and not worry about, well, this ain't water park. Why are we watching this? You know? Right. Right. Now, Devin Craig said, it, we don't do that Yankee stuff here. We're not the FDNY. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure every suburban yes. uh, firefighter has heard that. So, But you can learn a lot from those people. I could tell you that right now. So you just have to know how to pick what's going to work for you or tweak how they do things to fit your staff and in your building response. So sometimes those guys get out and, and get really big into the way they do it. And, you know, they kind of forget about smaller departments and, and how that's you know, a lot of that's not feasible, but you got to just be good about, you know, reading between the lines and, and taking their, their stuff and learn from it. Cause they got a lot of good information. Thousand percent. Um, I always like to ask, and I don't know how much of a reader you are, but I always like to ask, is there books or books that you think as Eric Wheaton, that firefighters should be reading? Does that have to be a firefighter book? It can be any book in the world. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. So one, one thing is I'm not a massive reader, but I do read a bit. And, um, uh, it's something I would like to improve on, but again, with small kids and everything and full-time job and it's tough to find the time. So, um, but we do, uh, we didn't touch this at all, but I'm extremely passionate about health and fitness, uh, especially in the fire service. Uh, my wife is, if she's, you know, could go back and choose a different career, she'd definitely be taking a path that down that route. 
Um, she is in the healthcare field, but uh, so thank God for her and steering me that direction. But one book, it's more of a textbook style that I've been reading and I reread often is Becoming a, a Supple Leopard. Funny title. Becoming a, uh, say by, that again? Uh, Supple Leopard. Supple? Yep. Okay. Leopard. Okay. So it's by uh, Dr. Kelly Starrett, and it's basically a full movement vi- uh, video, full movement book. It's a textbook. So it's, it's a book that you're going to reread and reread. And, you know, right now we have several people out on, um, on workers' comp and just job-related injuries and things like that. Not to say, you know, some of these movement, better movement practices would have, you know, for sure prevented some of their injuries. Right. But I don't, it wouldn't have helped. And it's a movement book, so how you know how to uh, how to move properly, how to lift weight properly, how to recover uh, properly, um, how uh, mobilities. You know, obviously a term that's thrown around a lot now, but you know, doing mobility workouts and things like that to prevent injury, but not only prevent injury when you're injured, also speed up recovery. Right. 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 So uh, you know that that's a cool book if you want something totally left field non-related to the fire service but if you think about it it actually is right we're a physical job and if you know this is the the um the best asset that our departments have is is our skin our people right so if we keep them healthy and keep them on riding on the rigs then that's i mean that's a successful department you know if you have a department especially my size with a lot of people getting injured or that are unhealthy and not performing well it doesn't matter how how pretty your your tow truck is right no doubt about it, man. No, and I, I look, I look forward to adding that to the suggested reading for the scrap is the uh, becoming a supple yeah. leopard. So, like you said, funny yep. title. That one's not been yeah. suggested yeah. before. Yeah, I busted out of the firehouse a few times and and maybe got a few <laughs> jokes. <laughs> I can. I can. Um, no, absolutely. Okay, so on the weekly scrap, we have a thing we do every week. It's called the five questions for firefighters. Uh, the point, uh, the uh, the questions and the answers are 100% up to you and your opinion. There is no right or wrong answers, technically. Uh, the points are assigned by me, and they're completely arbitrary. So, Eric Wheaton, are you ready for the five questions for firefighters? Oh, yeah. All right, so here we go. I always get made fun of because I've only asked them 90 times and I have to pull them up. <clears throat> you just got to read them. <laughs> <laughs> what is, this question number one, the yep. number one issue facing the modern fire service? Um, man, I could do two come off, you know, two come to the top of my head right away. Uh, one, uh, I know you asked for one, but I'll kind of breeze over one and maybe dive, dive into another one. But the, uh, one is, is a society issue. And that is just the metabolic derangement that happens in, in society right now. So, uh, I'm going really different than probably a lot yeah, of your. I want to hear. I want to hear this clarified. So, go ahead. So, and this is the one I'll just kind of breeze over because we can go down crazy, crazy talks with this, but just the unhealthiness of of uh, America in general, and you know, people want to put the the firefighters like we're in our own little bubble, right? So, are but you saying we're physically, uh, like like physically yeah, unhealthy? Physically, okay, okay. No, okay. no, phys- okay. physically. Um, yes, yeah, sorry, physically unhealthy, and 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 we'll you know, kind of clarify anything like that. But we, you know, oftentimes we put ourselves in this bubble, like we're only the fire service is only affected by this. But if you actually look outside the walls, 
your neighbors are affected by this, oh, yeah. right? So the, the entire country, the entire world is affected by this. So I would like to, again, see our departments invest in our health and fitness a lot more. Um, because again, if we're, the, the, our skin, our, our people are what makes the fire service, the fire service. And if we're unhealthy and if we're getting injured and we're sick and we're killing ourselves and, you know, all these things that we can improve on, um, then we're no, you know, we're no good as, as emergency responders. So, um, you know, I would like to see the, the improvement on the way we, the seriousness on our wellness and our, uh, exercising routines and, and basically, um, you know, and change our health. I mean, we're, you know, as a society, we're getting sick. I mean, I would like to see, see some improvement with that. I think that's, that is a thing that's going to affect us um, and, and society in general for, for a long time. And I want to interrupt you and say, just before you get to the, that's the one you're glossing over, but I want to say like, like, yeah. like 20 years ago, we didn't have special straps and tools to go and pick up our patients. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's something that's coming yeah. along, you know? So, uh, no, that's spot on, dude. I've, I've not heard that. No, so. just, yeah. And just the way we eat. And I mean, again, this is, this is something that my wife, I wish she was sitting right next to me cause she could talk, you know, for hours about this stuff. That's, she is extremely well on eating and, and where this came from is her mom had um, some cancer, right? So had cancer years ago. And so she decided to get genetic testing herself, realized she has this, uh, uh, a g- genetic deformity called Lynch syndrome. Mm-hmm. Basically what it is, and, and really everybody has, or not everybody, but a lot of people have um, mutated genes that if you don't control outside um, habits, that you could, these genes could mutate and become cancerous or could cause you to have type 2 diabetes or could cause you to have high blood pressure. And if we can do things to limit the uh, exposure to having these genes mutate, um, then we, you know, your, your chances of maintaining a good, healthy state are, are uh, greatly increased. So just for instance, just, you know, shopping in the perimeter of the grocery store would be one advice I would give anybody if they want to change. No, you don't have to go on any fancy diet. If you literally just stay to the perimeter of the grocery store, you're going to have your good carbs, your good fats, and your good protein. Wow. Um, everything on the center aisle is all processed foods. Um, just think about that. If it has a, if it has a, a ingredients list, so more than people say, if I think it's like more than three or five ingredients, it's not food. Right. Um, and then exercising routinely, just, just, you know, moving. You don't have to do CrossFit, although, you know, obviously I, I enjoy CrossFit. I think it's a great methodology, but just getting off the couch um, and or just moving, just, just do something better than yesterday, right? So that would be one thing. Um, I love if it. You want to just stick with that? If you just want to stick with that, and I won't even mention the next one. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Your answer. So you already got. I mean, go ahead. Yeah. The the other one would just be the closed mindedness of of the fire service. Just for instance, you watch a video online and the the need to to say something. You yeah. know. Um, yeah. Like just just look at look at something and hey that's stupid or maybe it works for them. It's not going to work for me, but guess what? I can just keep scrolling. I don't have to give my opinion. (laughs) I don't have to give my opinion because it doesn't Uh, help anything. anything. You're not going to win anything. Just let it go. And I used to, uh, every, uh, I used to, you know, 
just like a lot of us when social media is kind of new in the fire service, we get on there and we battle and then it's just like, Oh man. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So I'll, I'll make that one my quick one. And then the, uh, the health one, the long one. Dude, so the metabolic <laughs> derangement. Metabolic derangement. I've given you max points just for yeah. saying metabolic derangement. And then you made an Elsa quote and said, let it go. So uh, <laughs> bottom line is you got max points on question number one. So we'll move to question number two. What is the thing you are most excited about for the future of firefighting? All right. So um, that one would definitely be the uh, the conferences popping up, because like I said earlier, the, that's what saved me was going to conferences and saved me just, you know, um, making me instead of dabbling my toe into something like I typically don't. It made me be all in and the lifestyle I have, um, the wife you know, that I have, literally everything is because of the fire service now. And, um, you know, it's the the conferences were are there and now they're more accessible via because uh the prices is, is is a lot lower than than what it used to be and you know there's state conferences everywhere now. Now you don't even have to leave your state and they're popping up almost every weekend and i think that is awesome and for anyone in in listening in that has a, a you know fire service ebbs and flows ebbs and flows right and if you're in that lull right now i highly recommend you attending a fire conference and when you come back you're more than likely going to get beat down but you know go outside work by yourself control you and then when the next fire conference shows up you're going to attend that one and then soon you're going to be on a huge positive path and then guess what next time you come back from the from the conference there's going to be two you guys out there drilling or working out or doing something, watching videos and, and training, things like that. And it's just going to build from there. I don't say this lightly. That, might be, that may be uh, that last little 30 second bit may be some of the best advice ever given on the scrap. And I don't say that lightly. So it works for me, man. And dude, I appreciate anybody who works hard putting on a conference, big or small. Thank you. And I'm speaking for a lot of people. I know that you guys, the hard work is, is, is it, it's, uh, it's paying off. No, uh, dude, I, I'm telling you this right now. Uh, get out of your bubble and go find those oxidizers that are out there that will that will fan your flame. Uh, I went down last week to the – I'm wearing their shirt tonight, if I can go the right direction. Frontier Fools, Tactics on Tap, nice. they, had, they had a class last week. Uh, Bears of the Oath, I love, I love supporting people that – the Shane Bentley and those guys, Eddie Steele. Uh, man, guys uh, – now, now you got me preaching, so I'm going to quit. Let's go yeah. to question three. No, you're good, man. <laughs> Best rank or position to be in in the fire service? Yikes. All right, so my dad was always big on me doing all of them, never jumping positions. So I was a fireman and a driver and a and now a company officer. So I kind of uh, I feel like, you know, everyone's screaming at the screen right now and telling me I have to say a tillerman. <laughs> <laughs> but uh actually um you know a company officer man just you're at that management level where you're still running calls you're still getting your gear dirty um you get to make decisions which kind of goes back to why my my really close second choice would have been an outside truck member because i i never wanted to be that firefighter that had to be glued to the officer and that officer didn't trust me enough to kind of break away and make my own decisions. And thankfully my first truck company lieutenant who's now my battalion really allowed me to, to be free and make my decisions. 
um, and learn. I learned a lot that way. So, but as a company officer now, you get to build a team. Um, you know, you get to watch each other. You know, we're growing together. We're learning together. Uh, you know, you get to make the uh, decisions, which I enjoy the challenge of decision making. Um, and then, you know, you, you have a, that first step of formal, um, uh, what am I kind of lost for words, but where, where you basically have a little bit more formal impact. Right. The department. Right. So my department right now, we're like right next to geez, as a firefighter, I could, I would have loved to wrote all our firefighting SOGs. Well, they weren't going to give me the, you know, the time to do that, but now I get to you know, be involved with that. I get to be involved with training more formally. I get to build fire trucks and be on spec committees, which I have a huge passion in. And, you know, that, that company officer role, you have that ability, um, you know, at least in my size department to kind of be that, that, that person that does those kind of things that I enjoy. So, Well, if you know me, company officer is the only correct answer. So you got max points again. Yeah. So well, that's why I didn't, Pick the uh, Tillerman. The, any of the outside members. <laughs> I wanted max points. No, absolutely. No, uh, I I agree with you 100%. Now, people have heard yeah. me preach on it uh, over and over, so I won't even belabor the point. Um, I, was it Brush that said training officer, though? Somebody said training Someone chief. Someone said training chief recently. Time. Who was that that went? went I, think, I think it might have been Brush, but when he when I listened to that one, and I can't remember who it was, but. Uh, I think I was it was like, a, a three point firefighter. I, you got me. Uh, yeah, Jake Barnes, I was like, Jake man, Barnes good, threw that, that at me. That's a good answer. Yeah. yeah, that was a good that was a good answer because you know you really influence a lot. Um, I know the train officer. My my job influences a lot. So no, oh, absolutely. Be a cool to have. Man, when, when you're sold out and you are the training officer, yes, it can yeah. be such a massive. Uh, yeah. So I'm not. Again, I I do I do belabor the point. Uh, company officer is the thing I enjoyed the most, and I connected with my guys. And so to me, it's a. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure I'm biased, and I we don't have bendy trucks in my city, so. <laughs> Uh, all right. Best advice you have ever received. Question number four. Uh, all right. Um, this one here, um, I got a couple of them, a few of them. And uh, one was probably my first advice that I remember as a kid. And I want to say I was probably about 10 years old. Okay. And back then in my age in my town I grew up in roller skating was a big thing and I would roller skate like hell at the skating <laughs> rink all the time right I like it and yeah this is where it's going <laughs> well hockey tryouts posted at this rink and I didn't I don't even think I owned inline skates at the time I just had like the quad skates you know <laughs> and but I could skate really well my sister was a really good skater and uh, the hockey coach approached me and was like, Hey, I want you to come try out for the hockey team. And I'm like, I don't know shit about hockey, dude. He's like, I don't care. You, uh, you can skate. Well, I want you to show up to the tryout. So I told my mom, she went and bought me some used hockey gear that like probably that week sometime I show up to the, uh, I show up to the tryouts and I had a left-handed stick. I didn't even know like there was a right and left-handed stick. Right on. Right on. The the, the curve (laughs) of my stick went the wrong way. The wrong direction. yeah, there he is. You know, he's like, I show up, I'm in all this used gear and the wrong stick. And, um, you know, I get through trials with, with the gear I had and he pulls me aside. He said, I want you on my team. And he's like, you know why? Cause you got heart and I could tell you're, you're coachable. And I said, um, okay, I'll be on the team. And it wasn't until 
later on in life that that advice um, I would think about constantly when I want to um, think about it at, on the job now where um, I'm in an instructor role or company officer role. And maybe I have somebody assigned to me that isn't the best skill level right now. But when I'm eating lunch and they're out back in their gear and 100% humidity and 100 degree weather in Florida, and they're trying their hardest to, to, to throw a, a 24 foot ladder, a spike a 24 foot ladder on the concrete, then I can respect that, that, that ha- they have heart. If you know every skill and every job in the fire department and you show up with a poor attitude and you have no heart or no drive to get better, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't care how good you are. I'd rather work with the guy that doesn't have much skill set, um, you know, uh, maybe no, my, not much life experience, but has heart and drive uh, because I can work with that. And Absolutely. actually, I enjoy that because I enjoy um you know, uh, training alongside people like that. So, you know, having heart, um, that means something to me. And then two advice my dad gave me as a firefighter, no matter what position, always check the rig, no matter what position you're riding, always check the rig. That is solid. And because of that advice, I know my rigs that I was assigned to were really at the firehouse extremely well. Um, because, as say a firefighter, the driver would be checking their compartment and I'd come right behind them, open compartment and check the exact same compartment. I'd even check the spare uh, SE base cylinder to make sure it was full. And at first he's like, Hey dude, I just checked that. And it's like, Oh, I know. I'm just, my dad drilled in my head that always checked the rig. And I just want to know. And now if something's out of place or missing, I know it just like that. And, um, that's been huge advice for me. Um, uh, uh, into the job uh, once I got onto the job. And the last one I'll talk about, also my dad, was um, treat every run as if it was a fire and wear your gear properly. And he had a mayday uh, call out on himself during a fire alarm. So they went to a nursing home, and this was in 2000. And uh, it, they were about ready to leave, about ready to wrap it up. And one of the workers said, Hey, there's smoke in the kitchen. So they obviously were probably a little lazy and, and didn't check the whole building. And so they had partial gear on and go in. Sure enough, there's smoke in the kitchen. So right. they step out of the kitchen. They, uh, uh, he puts his mask on, doesn't, doesn't hook his chin strap up and doesn't put his hood up goes to this cabinetry, uh, cabinet that underneath has a little bit of fire going on he realizes that it's really just some smoldering rags right under a sink he takes these rags turns on the sink and it's literally i mean very minor right nothing no craziness of this and it's going to put them into the sink well there's these rags excuse me were stored under butane can or uh, stored on top of butane cans and as soon as they got enough oxygen, the cans, all these canisters blew up in his face. Oof. Big fireball, right, right. catches itself on fire. His helmet goes flying. His head's on fire. The lieutenant loses his helmet. Um, the lieutenant drags my dad out of this kitchen, beats his head on fire, calls Mayday on the radio. My The battalion chief, who's actually my father-in-law now, side note, He's like half sleeping two o'clock in the morning and the buggy gets woken up because we're on a fire <laughs> alarm and all of a sudden mayday, mayday, mayday. Right. And my dad had third degree burns Damn. on his entire head and neck area and ears, especially um, where basically anywhere his mask wasn't, wasn't, you know, your mask couldn't touch. 
And he, uh, the doctors basically said, Hey, if you didn't have your mask on and you would have inhaled that, it probably would have been a different story. And just ever since then, he, uh, you know, he's just every call, ask, you know, to make sure you think of it as a fire and, you know, were you here properly? And that's how old were you on that one? Were you alive yet at that one or was that before you? Yeah. Yeah. That was in 2000. I was, um, uh, let's see, 2000, I would have been, a freshman in high school okay okay so did that have an impact on 35 or or not till later oh yeah 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 um about joining the fire service or just in in general all of it yes yeah okay so yeah i i never wanted to be a firefighter at all like no matter even that that point i had no interest in it at all uh again surfing consumed my life and i didn't know what i was going to do but I remember the nurse coming for six months at my house and my dad sitting on uh, the uh, the table, the kit, the kitchen table. And he doesn't drink liquor. He drinks beer. He doesn't drink liquor. And he would take a shot like whiskey or whatever it was back then. And he would just, the nurse would scrub his ears and he would scream in this pain. And yeah, I mean, it was, it was gnarly. And I remember getting the phone uh, or getting pulled out of school or uh, when, uh, when that happened or, where was I? I was out of town or something. I remember getting some sort of phone call. So it was two o'clock in the morning when it happened. So I must have not been in school, but I was away from the house and, and, uh, I freaked out. Like, I, you know, cause all you hear is your dad was in a fire accident. And my exposure to the fire service, besides hanging out in the, 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 the firehouse is, you know, movies. And when bad things happen to firemen in movies, it's not good. Right. 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 So I remember being pretty hysterical and, and getting home and, and then realizing that, you know, it was just, you know, he was lucky and it was just, you know, burns his head, but something now. And, and we already had a culture in our department, like fire alarms, you'll see, you know, even though we send basically a full time, everybody's dressed out, um, which he was, he just didn't fully right, encapsulate right. himself um, sure. when there was a, a smoke condition. That's so. a powerful lesson, man. It only takes once, you know? Yep. You can do it a thousand times. It only takes once. Um, no, that's awesome, man. All three of those are awesome. Great, great. Uh, yeah. Hard to knock. I'm trying to remember. We're on number five. This might be the biggest no-brainer in the history of the five questions for firefighters as we come to number five. Um, as I asked the owner of Vin Inner Search, if there's heavy fire and searchable space, would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? So surprise me or confirm. Let's go. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, I thought about this one, and uh, <laughs> I feel like VES is like the, the gimme answer. And, I, I, and, and Yeah, and that's fine, but... Uh, God, I, I got to go with my wheelhouse, man. I got to go with the VES. Um, just that's been my my career, you know, experience and, and and training and 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 just yeah, my wheelhouse. And I feel like if I want to make the the biggest impact on that that scene there, um, that's probably the position that I would choose. Then um, I'd give it to my best friend, who's the uh, engine officer. I'd let him take the hose line. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Brother, I love it. I love all five answers. I will say this. I think you hit max points on everything according to me, which is arbitrary. And I don't, I try not to make it gimme's. Okay. So this really is something yeah. you should be proud of. Uh, I don't know how many have hit all five max points. Um, I'm going to hit you with a couple things from people here because, uh, Rob Fisher said, Corley, I almost want to call BS on Eric hockey in Florida. <laughs> Laugh out loud. And so it was roller, it was roller hockey. <laughs> 
<laughs> Tony, <laughs> Tony had your back. He said, we call it street hockey. So yeah. field hockey, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually played uh, all the way up to high school. So that was probably the longest. It was the longest team sport I played. That's the sports. There's the, that's where all the sports analogies come from. Yeah. Stephen Nagley said, it's okay. We all know the truth. You want the knob. <laughs> yeah, he's he's uh he's a guy that runs the Orlando Fire Conference. Right on. Really, a, a, him and his brother were a big reason why I got into teaching, and uh, and they were the first conference I went to, and and that's actually where the uh, can class started and everything. So, um, yeah, Steve's a he's a great guy. So Absolutely. yeah, he's uh he 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 knows probably where my heart really is. <laughs> I just can't admit it publicly. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fair. That's honest. Uh, that's awesome. Brother, uh, where can people reach out? I mean, obviously, vinintersearch.com. Uh, but go ahead. Yeah. Book a class. Reach out to Eric. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no. So, uh, obviously, yeah, vinintersearch.com, Instagram, social media, my personal page, Eric Wheaton uh, or CanManFF on, on Instagram. Uh, we got, you know, summer slows down for us as far as the, the travel and teaching gig goes. Just, you know, we like to take summers off a little bit, plus the weather locally here is just not really conducive to – to a lot of live fire training, which a lot of our, our, our classes are, but um, I'm leaving next week to uh, for an aerial class in Jeffersonville, Indiana. And then after that, uh, we will be going to the uh, Lake of the Ozarks uh, conference in Missouri. Um, I think our, uh, we're doing a VS class, I believe sold out. So Very that's nice. Awesome there. Yeah. Doing a, a hands-on class there. Uh, after that water on the fire in August, you can find us. And uh, so CFT, obviously a great time up there. And in October, we have the Mahai Fire Conference and Fireground uh, uh, Commander Conference in Virginia. Badass, man. I'm going to so, see you at Lake, of, I'm gonna see you at Lake of the Ozarks as a student. I'm not sure if I'm in your class or not. And then I'll see you at see, uh, Water on the Fire. So, uh, cool. No, yeah. Absolutely excellent, man. Perfect. Yeah, uh, housekeeping on my end. Uh, let me see. Honor the Fallen Fire Conference. It is coming up. June, we're 25 days away from today, 25, 26, and 27th of this month in Oklahoma, more Oklahoma, my hometown, uh, where I ride a rig, uh, come and catch it. There are eight unbelievable speakers coming in to do two days of lectures, one day of hot classes. Uh, I think there's seven spots left in the hot classes. They haven't sold out yet, but there's seven spots left. Bears of the Oath, uh, they are doing uh, the tool track there, and that's the spots that are left. <clears throat> Other than that, um, uh, go to Facebook, find Honor the Fallen Fire Conference. 100% of the proceeds from that conference are going to the families of fallen firefighters. There is no money being made on it. Every, every speaker, every uh, training cadre is donating their time 100%. Uh, my new addiction is uh, Taylor's Tins, and, and I love these things. So next rung, this is a big thing. Blake Stennett himself is coming down to the Honor the Fallen Fire Conference. He is going to give the height speech on day two, as well as talk about next rung briefly while he's there. And there is the one Taylor made for the actual conference itself. Man, I'm so proud of it. Uh, that cat is amazing in the work he does. So um, that's it, guys. We got another scrap in the books, number 90, with Mr. Six Foot Four, Surfer Tan, Blonde Dude, Eric Wheaton, uh, VES man himself. Uh, brother, I had a blast. Yeah, man, it's a good time. Appreciate uh, you having me. I'm pretty sure everybody here had a blast. Great job, Eric. Next rung, uh, go Bruins, black and gold until I'm dead and cold. I don't know if that's a, a hockey reference of some sort. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. 
John Lockwood said, spoken like a true pro, Eric. Great show. Great job, fellas. Lots. Yes, absolutely, guys. Thank you all. Tons of hype coming in here. Uh, guys, thank you for tuning in. Eric, uh, it was everything I was dreaming it would be when I finally got you on here. Uh, thanks so, again. Uh, to everybody tuning in, I hope the tone stays silent unless it's burning. Everybody stay safe out there. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to The Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.